You can open up to Acts chapter 2, verse 14. The new series uh, is focusing on the book of Acts, and it's called Let's Go Change the World. We are in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 14 today. I remember back in 2002 when I preached my very first sermon. I was the youth pastor just kind of coming off of an internship. I had no formal Bible training, but the pastor had seen some potential in me. I was a teacher at the time, but I was not in ministry. And he said, well, why don't you preach a sermon? Preach a sermon? I'd never done such a thing in my whole life. So I kept a journal back then, and I've, I've got the journal with me where I wrote a little reflection after I preached my first sermon. So it said on July 31st, 2002, first sermon went very well. Evangelism that works was the concept. Title was how to have a contagious faith. Noteworthy was that I was sick and congested and had a hot flash during the welcome. <laughs> Luckily, I made it through without sweat running down my face. A man named Jeremiah took initiative immediately after the sermon and questioned a man named Steve in front of him about his faith. Steve said he had been too busy for God up until now, but with tears in his eyes, he realized money isn't everything, and with tears, he prayed to receive Christ as Savior. Praise God. I wrote that down because after my first sermon, one man reached out to another man right in that room and said, are you saved? And one person gave his life to Christ. Now, this is my reflection of my first sermon, and the reason I share that is because Today in Scripture, we are going to read Peter's first sermon. Cowardly Peter's gone. The whole, you know, I never knew Jesus, he's gone. And I think that Peter would have given anything to go back to that courtyard when he denied Jesus Christ. I think he wanted to shout from the rooftops that Jesus is Lord, this is his chance. And at the end of Peter's sermon, 3,000 people get saved. It's going to be an incredible morning in God's Word as we see what God did. The two questions that Peter's sermon really asks, flowing through the four points are, who is Jesus and how can we be saved? The first three points today are going to be, who is Jesus? And then the fourth point is, how can we be saved? Peter's sermon is the sermon. Let's pray and then we'll get into God's word together. Thank you, Jesus, for the work that you did in the apostle Peter's life, that you made him a bold, confident messenger, an evangelist. Lord, we want to go and change the world because your spirit is in us. So show us through his example today how we can answer this question, who is Jesus? And show us how we must respond and be saved. Speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, I hope you're there, we're picking up on what started last week, which is the Holy Spirit was poured out in power at Pentecost. And there's commotion, great commotion. Everyone's looking around because this group of perhaps 120 Christians flooded out into the street. They're speaking in different languages, known languages, declaring the mighty works of God. And everyone's asking what's going on. And a lot of people feel like they're just drunk, but it's 9 a.m. So here's how Peter's sermon first started. Okay, you ready? People looked at him and they were like, what's with all the drunks? In fact, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say that? What's with all the drunks? If you want to put yourself in their shoes, 
And, and you want to feel what Peter's first sermon was like? You have to begin by assuming I'm plastered, okay? That's my starting point with my audience. Peter really had quite a hill to climb. And it's only 9 a.m. In addition, there was this geographical barrier. Peter was a Galilean, right? Country folk. And uh, of, of course they're drunk at 9 a.m. They're from the country. So he had a bit of a geographic barrier too because people were like what's this hillbilly about to tell us okay that's what it feels like to be peter so here we are in acts 2 verse 14 peter standing up with the 11 those are the apostles lifted up his voice and addressed them men of judea and all who dwell in jerusalem let this be known to you and give ear to my words first of all where did this peter come from am i right He's not running for the hills. He is standing up loud and proud. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. That's 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. He's now going to quote Joel 2, 28 to 32. The prophet Joel lived, we don't even know exactly when, but it was before 600 B.C., Locusts, to give you a background, had darkened the sky in Joel's day, which meant the crops were going to be eaten up, which meant people were going to starve, a lot of people were going to die, there was famine coming, which means people in Joel's day were freaking out, okay? So just for a moment, I want you to say, we're going to die! Go ahead, say it. Okay, that was Joel's day, okay? And the locusts darkened the sky, there were so many of them, and they thought this was like the end of everything. Now, Joel spoke, and God used his voice to convey this. You're right. You really better repent and call out to me, or you are going to die. Turn to me, right, is the summary of the whole book. But guess what? This day that you thought was going to be destruction is actually going to be a day of salvation. I'm actually going to save you like never before. God used that scenario in Joel's day to foreshadow what things would be like in Jesus' day and even what things are going to be like in the end times. So gather all that up with you and now listen to what Peter quotes. Verse 17, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and even your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter quotes Joel as his text to summarize what's going on around them. Essentially, he's saying, this is that. He's connecting them and showing them the Bible is springing to life right in front of them. It is a time of potential doom and also a time of salvation. Men of Israel, verse 22, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not 
impossible for him to be held by it. The first thing you can write down is this. Peter's saying, believe Jesus' life and death prove he is the Messiah. Believe that Jesus' life and death prove he is the Messiah. God said this would happen. It would characterize the time of the coming king and ruler. This is that. He's showing who is Jesus, that his life and his death prove he is the Messiah. It says in verse 22, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Who is Jesus, a man attested by God to us as the Messiah? Jot this down. His birth was surrounded by heavenly signs. His birth was surrounded by heavenly signs. So of course, you know it's coming. Christmas is coming, right? And Christmas is the most what? It's the most... They didn't know about Christmas back then. It had just started. The shepherds, the angels, the star, the wise men, the wow. And so some of you right now, who's hosting Christmas this year? Raise your hand if they're coming to your house. Raise your hand up if you're hosting. If you're hosting, okay, you're cleaning, you're getting the decorations out. You're, you know, right? Because why? Because Jesus was born. And it's so amazing. We're still gathering to celebrate the wonders, the signs. The, like, you're not celebrating many other 2,000-year-old people's birthday this year, are you? You're not arranging for, you know, Julius Caesar or anybody. You're not getting ready for that happy birthday party, am I? Am I right? But, hey, his birth was surrounded by heavenly signs. Wow. This shows that he was the Messiah. Jot this down. His ministry included miracles and wonders. His birth, his ministry included miracles and wonders. Well, like what? What did God do through him? He healed the sick with a touch. Doesn't matter the eyes, the ears, the legs, anything. He could heal anything, anyone. And he did. He calmed the storm. The weather doesn't listen to me. It doesn't listen to you. It listened to him. He commanded creation. He cursed a fig tree and it died. Just died. Fish, miraculous catch. He said it. And they just went into the net to the point where the nets were almost breaking. He commanded creation. He commanded demons. They shrieked in terror when he told them what to do. And they did what he said. And they begged him for mercy. He walked on the water. He turned water into wine. He caused multiple miraculous catches of fish. He fed the 4,000. He fed the 5,000 with just a handful of snacks. And he raised the dead with his voice. His life verified that he was the Messiah. God did great wonders through him. Jot this down. His death fulfilled God's plan in God's word. His birth, his ministry, his death fulfilled God's plan in God's word. Peter's saying this is that. Even the death, even, even the crucifixion, this is that that was spoken of in the Old Testament. This is that, and it fulfilled God's plan. 
Here's a, a picture, a movie picture of what the cross scene you know, could have looked like. And he, he died on the cross to fulfill God's plan, but it was wicked men who did this through an unjust process because they were rejecting the grace and mercy that was offered to them from heaven. This is that. His death fulfilled God's plan in God's word. Think of the signs and the wonders that accompanied the very death of Christ, the voice booming a week beforehand. The dark skies over the cross as Jesus was crying out, the curtain torn in two from top to bottom in the temple. Think of it. Think of the prophecies that were fulfilled. Hey, do you believe that Jesus' life and death prove he is the Messiah? Have you taken to heart the incredible signs and wonders that mark the life, the birth, the death of Christ? Has that penetrated your soul and proved to you this is that? He's the one that was talked about. He's the Messiah. Number one, do you believe that Jesus' life and death prove he is the Messiah? Peter said, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, you know now, do you believe? Number two, jot this down. Do you believe that Jesus' resurrection proves he is the Messiah? Do you believe that his resurrection, so his, his birth, his life, his death, and now his resurrection, that he came back from the grave. Do you believe that his resurrection proves he is the Messiah? It says in verse 23, he was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It says in verse 24, but God raised him up. That right there is something that is a initial challenge for you. Do you believe that Jesus is alive? This isn't historical. This is present tense, do you really think he rose again never to die? That he is alive right now. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You might have different translations of that there. I think it's best to read that as a bit of a mixed metaphor. Pangs are usually associated with labor pains and he combines it here with the idea of the grave in labor giving life back, giving birth to life. And Jesus was therefore born again up from the grave. It's a wonderful picture that actually spiritually is spot on at what has to happen spiritually to us. We have to come back from the dead spiritually. The, the pangs of death have to yield new life. And it says here it was not possible for the grave to hold him. Now, how can that be that it's just it's not possible for the grave to hold him? Well, God freed him from the agony because he promised he would in the Old Testament. Here's a picture of the tomb. This is just an artist's rendition of what it could look like for the stone to be rolled away, for Jesus to have risen again, and the grave could not hold him. Believe that Jesus' resurrection proves he is the Messiah. Well, why should I believe that? Go ahead and say, why? Sometimes the Bible gives us motives, and sometimes it gives us methods. Sometimes it tells us how, 
Sometimes it tells us why. It's here telling us why we should believe such an unbelievable thing. Well, write this down. Because David spoke of the resurrection. David spoke of the resurrection. It says in verse 25, For David says concerning him, you're learning a lot just in that verse about what the Bible is. David, King David, David, who did David kill? David and Goliath, David's son Solomon. We spent a whole many months looking at Ecclesiastes, David's son. So David, one of the most famous people who's ever lived, right? And um, it's not just that he's famous that matters. It's that God used him as a prophet that matters here. David did write uh, Bible. He wrote scripture. So he wrote most of the Psalms, right? The hymn book of the Old Testament. So David's writings were included in the scripture. And many of his Psalms talked of the Messiah. Now you need to know a little bit of how prophecy and how the Bible works. Because if you look back in the Old Testament, in many places you won't see exact descriptions of the future. But what you will see is the prophet has been both knowingly and unknowingly writing things that often tie into his own life that are corresponding to a future reality in an impossible way. Meaning he couldn't have known these things would come about. And it doesn't matter. It's actually kind of more impressive if he didn't really have any idea what he was writing about and he like nailed it. But there are times where God like revealed like to Daniel a very clear historical sequence of kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. Okay, that's cool too when God spells it out for the prophets, but it's almost cooler and more impressive when they don't even know exactly how it's going to play out. They can't see, but they nail it. That's even cooler. David spoke of the resurrection. So it says, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. He's quoting from Psalm 16. And I think there's a lot of interpretive options here. I think the best way to interpret this is David is putting himself in the voice of one of David's future descendants, describing that future promised uh, ruler's voice. Meaning he's speaking as the Messiah. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades. It's a word for the grave or the underworld. Or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Okay, so that psalm now ends. Psalm 16, 5 to 11 ends. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both both died and was buried and that his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So David was speaking not of himself in Psalm 16, but he was speaking of a future descendant who somehow would thwart the power of the grave. And even though David couldn't exactly figure out how, he was writing, a listen, a thousand years before Christ. And he knew somehow this future descendant, in order to rule forever, was going to have to overcome the power of the grave. It's just simple math. If he's going to rule forever, he can't die in a tomb. He just knew that. So he wrote about this future descendant who would somehow be let go from the power of the grave. 
It's incredible. So David spoke of the resurrection. This will come up again in verse 34, David speaking of the future messianic descendant. But jot this down, God promised the Messiah would live forever. It was based on the reality that God promised this ruler would rule forever, live forever, that David reasoned that there had to be some overcoming of the grave. God promised the Messiah would live forever. This is reflected in Psalm 132, 11, but it's also reflected in 2 Samuel 7, 16, when God is making a covenant with David and saying, I'm going to put a ruler of you know, yours on the throne. That did include a few that died. Solomon died. You know, the, they died, but David was told something special about one future descendant. Here's what it says. We'll put that up on the screen. It says, God said to David, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is a forever promise. David thought about that and realized there had to be some way the Messiah could live forever. David deduced from this promise that it's clear his offspring, they're human, would all die. So God somehow in one offspring would have to overcome that pattern of death. He knew that. God promised the Messiah would live forever. Jot this down. The apostles witnessed the resurrection. So it says, Peter ties in what Psalm 16 says, and in verse 32 he said, this Jesus God raised up, and of, of that we are all witnesses. So in the genealogies you see Jesus was a descendant of David. So Jesus was David's great, 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 I don't know how many greats, grandson okay, descendant of David, and therefore qualified to be this forever king. And Peter says, we are all witnesses. Now that's the moment right there where anyone in the crowd could have been like, uh, dummy, let's go to the tomb. Jesus is still in there. You can't just get up in front of thousands of people and be like, he's risen. The tomb is empty. They could walk over there and be like, no, you're lying. They couldn't say anything because it was true. They saw it with their own eyes. They were eyewitnesses. Have you been an eyewitness to anything? When you can give eyewitness testimony, I was there. It's like undeniable. How many of you have witnessed a crime in your life? Raise your hand if you've witnessed a crime. Yeah, not good for the bad guy, right? Because I was there. I saw it. Okay, on a, on a better note, how many of you witnessed a proposal like someone getting down on one knee and asking for the other person to get married. You didn't even probably know what was happening. Was like, oh, you'll never believe what I saw today with my own eyes. It was beautiful. Oh, so cool. How many of you have ever seen a shooting star? Raise your hand if you've seen a shooting star. You want to tell people, right? You're like, oh, and usually other people don't see it because they're doing whatever. They're on their phone. You're like, whoa, and they're like, what? I just saw a shooting star with my own eyes. It was amazing. It was up there in the sky. When you're an eyewitness of something, it gives you tremendous credibility. And Peter's like, we are eyewitness of this. We saw it with our own eyes. You can't say anything because it's true. They saw it with their own eyes. This is what sets Christ apart from every other great religious or historical figure. No tombstone. And let me just ask you, do you believe Jesus is the one? So Peter was saying, this is that. This in our life is that in the Bible, and now he's saying he's the one. Do you believe he's the one? Do you believe Jesus is the one of a kind, promised Messiah, the one who will reign forever? 
as God promised. Is that who Jesus is? Because what I'm saying is you can't, after you know this, hold on to this tiny little false Jesus thought. Well, he's a good person who lived a long time ago and taught some pretty cool things and maybe did some kind of miracles. And No, 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 all that has to go away. He's the one. He's the Messiah. He's the promised Savior, King, forever. He's that, and he has to be that to you, or he's nothing. Is he that to you? Do you believe that Jesus' resurrection proves he is the Messiah? Number three, jot this down. Peter's saying, believe that Jesus' ascension proves he is the Messiah. So his life and death, birth, life, and death, ministry, death, birth included miracles, signs, and wonders. Second, his resurrection, he rose from the grave. David talked about it, God promised. The apostles saw it. Number three, believe Jesus' ascension proves he is the Messiah. So we learned about this last week, the week before, but he literally, after he, for 40 days, stayed around. He scared people a lot. Like, Halloween's coming up. I really think Easter should be celebrated a lot more like Halloween. Because Jesus just kept showing up and scaring people to death. I'm alive. Ah! If we did that a lot on Easter, maybe, maybe we would actually get a lot more converts. We'll just kind of scare people, make them think we're dead, and then we're alive. Why'd you do that? Tell you about Jesus. He rose from the grave. It's awesome. That's 40 days. He stayed around. Hundreds of people saw it. Then at the end, he ascended into heaven. They saw it. They saw him ascend into heaven and sit down, enthroned, enthroned in, in heaven. He's there right now. He ascended to heaven, and he's there right now. Believe that Jesus' ascension proves he is the Messiah. It says in verse 33, Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, could read by the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He's now explaining how this miraculous thing just happened. These people learned a language. No Rosetta Stone, no training, no, no night college. They just knew a language and they were proclaiming the words of God right there. This is that. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Verse 34, for David did not ascend to the heavens, but he himself says, so now he's going to quote Psalm 110. This is the most quoted Psalm in the New Testament. He says this, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now this is a fascinating psalm because David writes this. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David's writing this. Peter's saying, David didn't go up to heaven. Who's he talking about? Jesus brought up this very point to the know-it-all Pharisees in Matthew 24. Jesus quoted Psalm 110. And it's kind of cool when Jesus gives the know-it-all religious Pharisees a pop quiz. All the people loved it when he got the Pharisees. They loved, yeah, give it to them. They know everything. Jesus would sometimes embarrass them, and the people loved it. So Jesus just threw out a pop quiz. Did you hate pop quizzes as a kid? Did you hate them? Like, oh, no. No chance to study. Well, these, these guys actually thought they knew everything. So Jesus wasn't doing a bad thing. But in Matthew 24, Jesus said, how, how could the Lord in Psalm 110 be David's son and his Lord? And they were like, mm. 
waited. How can David talk about someone who's both his son and his Lord, both his descendant and his king? Anyone, anyone, put your pencils down. Answer, he is divine. Well, they wouldn't say that. They killed him for saying that. But this is what David was saying. The Lord said to my Lord, this kind of reflects in Daniel, the Ancient of Days coming before God in the the Trinity here. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. That's what's going on here. Jesus is the divine risen King of heaven. Did you write that down? David spoke of the risen King of heaven. Jesus is the divine, death-defeating descendant of David. Do you believe that? He's the divine, death-defeating descendant of David. Do you believe that? In Luke 1.32-33, this was the same author, Acts and Luke, same author, says this, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That is Jesus, born king forever. Peter's showing him. David talked about the risen king of heaven. Believe that his ascension proves he is the Messiah. And you know what that means? Now he's going to turn the knife. Do you know what that means? It means this is that. It means he's the one. And it means we messed up. We did what to the Messiah? This is the uh uh-oh part of the sermon. Peter is now preaching. He says in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Uh Uh-oh. Let's go back to that Joel passage before we move on. Write this down. He's poured out the Holy Spirit. He's telling them, you see it. Look at, the, look at the spirits being poured out right now. The tongues of fire came to rest on these people. He poured out the Spirit. So if you look back at his introductory text in verse 17, Joel said, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Then he starts listing these things, ways God is revealing that he's speaking. These are manifestations of God that prove Jesus is risen, and they blew it in crucifying him. So there are different ways God discloses himself to humanity. There are speaking gifts. Prophecy is one of them. Prophecy can have a past, present, and future tense. So prophets could tell the future, right? But they could also speak about something happening in the present and explain it. Prophets also looked back to the past and drew out meaning from the past and applied it to the present. That was a bit more of a teaching form. But prophecy, especially speaking of the future, showed God was the one communicating. Speaking gifts like the gift of tongues that were happening right here all around Peter, where someone, bam, knows a known language instantly, shows God is speaking. The mighty works of God. They weren't just showing off like, hey, want to hear French? (laughs) They were speaking the mighty works of God. God was talking. There are messages God means to be shared. That's important for you to understand because right now I'm preaching by God's Spirit through God's Word and what I'm saying has eternal authority over your soul. It's the Spirit communicating from God to you through me. The authority is in the message, not me. 
but I'm sharing with you a message that has authority in heaven. These are God's ways of speaking. There are also visions. Old Testament and New, God could cause someone to see a vivid vision when they were awake. Very rare. Very rare. There's also dreams. Now you're asleep. He could alarm non-believers or warn believers. Joseph was told in a dream in the New Testament not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife. Dreams. God's communicating. But here we see God pouring out in a new way, like a torrential downpour upon a parched desert. God poured out his spirit on all flesh, all humanity. Radical idea to Jews that Gentiles, women, children, young and old, would all receive the indwelling Holy Spirit so they could become bold witnesses for Christ. Wow. And that's what's happening now, Peter is saying. Well, hey, based on all of that, Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus' life and death prove he is the Messiah? Do you believe that Jesus' resurrection and his ascension prove that he's the Messiah? Well, then maybe you will feel like his audience felt. It says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Hey, have you ever gotten to that point? where you were cut to the heart at who Jesus is, what he's done, who you are, what you've done? Have you ever said, what should I do? Jot this down, number four, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off. Everyone, he's going back to the Joel verse, everyone, he's including everybody who's hearing here, he says, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Wow, this is amazing. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Wow, wow, wow. So let me ask you this. Are you saved? Are you saved? Have you repented and been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Are you saved? This invitation is for everyone. For everyone. Do you believe Jesus is Lord, the exclusive holder of power and authority over all human existence? Lord is a divine title of God. Do you believe Jesus is divine? right now risen in heaven and ruling? Do you believe he's the Christ, the chosen one, the only savior of humanity who walked our earth and lived a human life and yet died and rose again and was risen for you? Do you believe he is Lord and Christ? Do you believe it? Jot this down. Then confess and turn away from your life of sin. Confess and turn away from your life of sin. This passage preserves both the awesome sovereignty of God Because the crucifixion, the death, everything was according to the divine plan of God. And it even says here that everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself will be saved. And yet he says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. You have to respond. Today the Bible says if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You must respond. Repent and be baptized for your forgiveness of sins. Do you agree that you broke God's law? Do you agree that you're guilty in his presence? Do you agree that the day of destruction, that's what's talked about, 
The day is coming. The day of the Lord, verse 20. The day of the Lord. A day of judgment and darkness and doom, which in Jesus' day yielded the resurrection and the opportunity to be saved. But, oh, there's a day coming in the future. The end times. The end of days. There's a day coming when judgment will pile up. And that's that. Do you believe God's wrath is coming and do you see your need to be saved and forgiven? Have you invited Jesus to forgive you of all of your sins? Confess and turn away from your life of sin. Jot this down and publicly profess your faith in Christ. Publicly profess your faith in Christ. How does baptism work? Well, maybe you're confused about this because like me, so I was baptized when I was a baby. I was raised Catholic. My wife was raised in the Christian Reformed Church. She was baptized as a baby too. They teach different things about that. If you were baptized as an infant, you were either told in the Catholic Church that that saved you and washed away your sins, although you can never permanently have your sins washed away in in that faith tradition. They would say you have to keep coming back, and it's really your works that are going to lead to whether or not you go to heaven or hell. Um, The Bible reverses that. It says it's by grace we are saved through faith. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So when I realized that, I realized, whoa, I was in college, whoa, I I need to be saved once and for all. None of this coming in and getting a little wash and going out and sinning every week. This, I need to be saved, like a wonder wash, I need to be saved. So when I was in college, I decided to get baptized again. My grandma wasn't happy, and I was like, listen, I'm I'm renewing my faith, I really believe this stuff, okay? I'm saying this is true, and then she was uh, was actually okay with it. Uh, But uh, here, you want to see a video of my baptism when I was in college? So check it out. This is my baptism. This is Ryan Hall. Ryan, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who died and rose again for your sins? And have you by faith received him as your own personal Lord and Savior? Ryan, based on your testimony of faith in Christ, I'm going to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried in the light that's been dead. It's incredible what God did in my life. They may wear that gown. We don't make people wear the gowns anymore. But I, it, for me, I, I was born again. I wanted to tell the world that I was saved. I got baptized, right? No idea I was going to become a pastor. I was the drummer in a heavy metal band. Did you see the hair? All the way down to my belt. Uh, but, but I publicly profess my faith in Christ. And I would encourage you, if you have never done this after the age of accountability, no matter what faith tradition you were raised in, if you have never publicly professed your faith in Christ, Two weeks, we have a baptism service. I want you to do it. I want you to say to the world, I'm ready. Now, look, if you've been a Christian for a long time, we honor that. We're not like, look, you know, he just got sick. You know, we're like, hey, look, this person's walked with Christ for a long time. But if you are a newer Christian, it's time to get baptized. This is repent and be baptized, every one of you. This is a command of Jesus Christ on your life. And we'll help you. We'll help you get your little speech ready. You won't have anything to be afraid Um, But what a great way to witness, to invite your friends and relatives and say, hey, I want you to come hear about what God's done in my life. I would love for you to get baptized. Remember, baptism is not a graduation party. It's a birthday party, all right? It celebrates that you've been born again. You don't have to have it all together and have your life all figured out. Baptism happens on the front end of your faith. So publicly profess your faith in Christ. And then jot this down. You'll be saved by grace through faith. You'll be saved by grace through faith. It says, save yourselves from this crooked and depraved generation. And those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day. 
Right now, today, if you have never received Jesus as Lord, I want to give you the chance to do that right now, to repent of your sins and to be saved. Let's close our eyes in response to Peter's first sermon and the Holy Spirit reaching out to you. And let's pray to the Lord based on everything that we just heard. Let's pray. Father, I know that there are some people here right now who walked into this room today. Maybe they had a false sense of confidence. They thought because they've gone to church their whole life that maybe they were going to go to heaven. Or they're a pretty good person. They thought maybe they're going to go to heaven. Lord, may they see today that they need Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to save them. They need to repent and be baptized to tell the world that they have been born again. Lord, I pray for those people who are ready. Doesn't matter how long they've put it off. Maybe there are some people who know that they're not going to heaven. They feel guilty, ashamed, lost. They feel hollow and vacant. They feel like you haven't been real to them. And maybe this is the morning when you're showing them, repent, ask for forgiveness, and it will be yours. Father, I pray right now that there would be people who are asking for the forgiveness of sins, asking to be born again. Lord, and I invite them to pray with me right now to pray with me, to literally say a prayer quietly where they're sitting, asking you for forgiveness. And they can pray. I invite you to pray with me right now, wherever you're sitting. I invite you to say this. Say, Father, forgive me. Go ahead, say it. Say it. Say, Father, forgive me, for I've sinned. Come on, these are your words. For I've sinned. I've broken your law. turned against you and I ask for forgiveness. You say it. I ask for forgiveness. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. Can you say that? I believe Jesus is the Messiah. I believe he died and rose again for me. I believe he ascended to heaven. Jesus, save me. Come on, say it. Jesus, save me. And bring me to heaven forever. If you prayed that prayer, I need you to know that Jesus said he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You're born again. And it's time to publicly tell people that you are saved. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more.